Welcome, everyone, to the C-Suite Marketing Perspectives Podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. And today, we're going to talk about something that, that doesn't get a lot of airplay, right? But we're going to talk about, as a CMO, how do we transition and grow beyond our functional selves, right? We've, we've come up to the ranks, and we've done marketing operations or performance marketing, demand gen, you call it, you, know, you name it. How do we rise above that? How do we become a team player on the C-suite? How do we interface with the board of directors? How do we actually oversee those roles that we once occupied? There's a larger role. There's a larger set of responsibilities that we have. And so that's what we're going to talk about here today. And our guest is Anita, Anita Tolsiani. And Anita, you are a two-time CMO. You've come up through the ranks, right? You've done a lot of work in high tech all the way through real estate tech. You actually now have your own company where you do strategic and, and tactical marketing for uh, B2B companies. So you've also been on both sides of the fence, right? And, and I'm sure a lot of what happens is when you come in and you start working with these companies, they need a lot of that support that they don't have, that they have a lot of the, the functional support in the team, but they don't have that leadership always. Right. I've been a fractional CMO myself, and that was one of the big voids that I always saw. But maybe start out and just tell us a little bit more about yourself before we get started here. Yeah, thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Um, yeah, so you covered my background really well. Just kind of a couple of clicks further into that is I, you know, knew from the minute I stepped into college that I was meant to be a marketer. And marketing, you can imagine in those times, was just a little bit different than it is today, you know, ahead of the social media curve and all that we have uh, amassed over these last, you know, 20 years or so in marketing. Um, but I was able to cut my chops um, in high tech, where I spent about 15 years in, in, the, in the wave of technology where it was selling through speeds and feeds. So for those of you who come from the computer industry, you know, it was really who had the most RAM, the biggest hard drive. And, and that can be really erased to the bottom because somebody's always going to have something just a little bit better. And so this value-based messaging really came into play in my marketing career. And it came to fruition when I started working really at AMD and then eventually at CoreLogic where speeds and beads were not going to cut it. And so I got to get my chops and really dig deep into the value prop and in some of these businesses spend over a year crafting the value prop because the, that was the nature of the high tech spaces coming up with a product took years to develop. But if you look at the new evolution of products and solutions, these things are obviously coming out way faster than years. And so it's really important to get your unique value prop crisp and articulated well. And so throughout my career, you know, leaving from the high tech space and into the spaces I um, now familiar with insure tech, real estate tech, prop tech, really nailing this unique value prop before you start running around doing all the marketing things is what I've crafted my, myself to be a leader in. And yes, I've gotten a good fortune of having, you know, both sides of this equation, 15 years in high tech, and then moving into a little bit more of a very unique value prop uh, selling approach. Yeah, you know what's interesting? You, you talk about like the speeds and the feeds, right? And like how much RAM and, you know, all kinds of things. And fast forward to today. And today, there's even stats on this, uh, that it's more important that a B2B buyer has 
a sense of connection and understanding about you as a company, that's equally as important as what you actually do as a company, right? And that starts then getting to when you're talking about the value prop, you know, part of the value that a CMO brings these days is adding value to the company, right? And that thought leadership and being perceived as an expert in the industry, that's a big part of what is the value that is provided because people don't want to be sold to, they want to be advised, right? So that is something that is light years away from speeds and feeds. <laughs> light years away, for sure. I'm just curious because in the role that you're at right now and you're interfacing with uh, these companies and senior executives in these companies, when you go in there and you tell them, we need to establish a value prop, right? This is one of the most important things that we need to do. What's the kind of the reception that you're getting in, in how do you explain the role and the need for that value proposition? Sure. Some, some of the startups that we're advising, you know, may or may not have ever done a value prop. Um, if, we're, if we're lucky enough to get into one that has a value prop in motion, you know, our, our pitch is really, have you looked at that value prop in some time? Because the landscape is getting more competitive. There are new competitors on the horizon that you may not have ever deemed your competitor. And so coming in and taking a look at that competitive landscape is, is really our way in. Um, but we're also trying to take a look at um, a, a value chain across product marketing and sales. So I no longer see marketing as just a marketing function, just one function in a company. I see it as an alignment fu function between product marketing and sales. And what I mean by that is product has created a special product that's out there in market. We want to get to that secret uh, sauce and the essence of what made that product be. But we also want to look at the landscape and make sure that it's going to stand out in today's time. On the other end of that spectrum is a salesperson or sales leadership that's out there in, in face in front of the customer trying to figure out how do I sell this to their, to their unique needs? And we can't just sell speeds and fees anymore. We have to get to the pain points of that decision maker. And so if we built a value prop that's kind of generic or built on just the product without that alignment, or number two, we haven't gotten to understand the customer's real pain points, then what we're marketing to in a world full of content and social media and pressures of personal life in your way is you're not, you're not going to be able to cut through the noise to sell that product. And so we as marketers, in, in effect, are an alignment uh, vehicle, but we also, I believe, are a sales pipeline acceleration, key component part of the organization. So without us there, then you're left to a salesperson, you know, going out there and selling what the product person told you. But having a marketing person in there allows you to have a very consistent story across that chain and also be able to stand out above the crowd um, against all of the competition that might be out there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because these days, um, Gartner had this down, 83% of B2B buyers, they've already done their research. They've determined their short list, right? Before they ever want to talk to anybody inside of the company. So, you know, what you're saying there in the value prop in that, in that you know, sales penetration chain, marketing is becoming a, a more important part of the sales process because this, you know, self-driven buyer's journey 
is getting longer and longer. Um, and that's one of those things. When we talk about, you know, we got to rise above, uh, above our functional self, it's not about the tactics, right? It's about understanding how that buyer's journey is changing, understanding, you know, what portions of the buyer's journey and how do we meet them at that point? What are the really important inflection points? How are we looking at all of that data? You know, that's something that is not in any functional role down below, but there needs to be somebody that's above that's kind of looking at that bigger picture, right? Yes. And, you know, like you mentioned before, you know, product marketing is going to give a lot, a lot of support to sales, but sales needs to have conversations. And the goal of sales is always to have conversations earlier and earlier in the buyer's journey. The earlier we get in the buyer's journey, the the less product focused it becomes, right? So yeah, sure. tell me a little bit, you know, about kind of the the challenges that you think that CMOs face, you know, whether it's at the C-suite, board level, strategy level of, of kind of, you know, leading them through this buyer's journey and the kind of content and things that that need to be in that buyer's journey and and how do you get sales to adopt that information and see the value in it like it's one thing to say yes we need this is another thing to get it executed right so what are the big roadblocks in doing that sure i think um well i think you know maybe even taking a step back for those companies who have um gotten to a place where they're ready to hire their own you know employee chief marketing officer um, I, I think it's allowing them to really have a voice at the table. You know, I think the title alone says you've hired them for that function. You know, they are going to do the marketing function, but in order to really excel, they're going to have to be friends with the product leadership, the finance leadership, and the sales leadership. You know, we really have to kind of understand the customer, the profitability, which products do we want to sell more of or less of. And so allowing the the chief marketing officer to spend a little time getting to know everyone beyond their function is really actually going to help the marketer perform to those revenue expectations. And so then from there, how we dig down a click further is that spending a little bit of what I call that academic time documenting the unique value prop. It is something that feels boring you know, a, a waste of time, perhaps. We've already done this before. But allowing your marketer to document why you believe your product has been successful to this point in, and to get that alignment is, is extremely critical because it allows the marketer to do, do their job effectively, allows them to set budget, it allows them to figure out which products they can drive that are more profitable or less profitable. And having a good understanding of a product um, is really going to help the entire company succeed. And so when you have a marketer getting inside that business to document it, it, it is a good thing. And it creates that alignment so that when you do go to your digital marketing function or you go to an event, the things that are being said about your product, your solution, your business is really what's going to stand out above the, above the crowd. And where it's going to benefit downstream is for your salespeople, especially as a startup, they may not know your name, but if we've done our job as marketing and working with the product and, and the leadership team to find that unique value prop 
when people are passing by at a conference or they are seeing your ad in LinkedIn, a paid paid ad, or they are Googling up the right words, that you you and the business are coming up as somebody reputable who can solve those those pain points. Makes so much sense. You know, um, one of the things that you had talked about before we hit the record button is that you started in sales, right? And then we were talking about this in context of, you know, most CROs are very sales centric, right? They got a they got a quarterly quota over their heads, right? CEOs, they've got to report to the board and it's always sales centric. So, you know, these value props can be looked upon as kind of brandy fluffy stuff, right? You know, and in a in a world where there's like performance metrics that have to be met, sales metrics that have to be met, and you're trying to team up and, and align with the the rest of the you know the C-suite. How do you talk to your CRO about this? How do you talk to your CEO about this, or the CEO and CRO and CEO of the companies that you're supporting now? Yeah, yeah. I my mantra for this is called spinning plates. So. As a marketer, I don't think we have the luxury of saying, hang on, you know, I need three to six months for a big old research study, and then I'm going to come back to you, and then we're going to execute. So the spinning the plates analogy is that we're going to keep things moving with what has been put in place, but we're going to be working to fine-tune that and starting to look at the metrics in all of our digital dashboards that are showing success. So what is working? What's not working? What's not working? Let's go ahead and you know, kind of slow that down and let's keep the things that are working um, moving and, and give it a little bit more momentum. So that gives you a little bit of um, runway to start diving into that those product discovery sessions and, and the leadership discussions to kind of get into that unique value prop. And then as you're getting into that unique value prop, you're laying out the playbook of how we're going to start to adjust what has been in market and um, move your your new initiatives forward. And this by no means has to be this big brand unveil with a whole new glitz and glory. This can be a very subtle way that you're positioning yourself in market that just allows you to stand out. A good case in point was a company I worked for who was getting um, confused. They, they were an AI company and they were taking imagery and they were layering analytics on top of that imagery and then providing all of the analytics through machine learning to the customer. But because they were using imagery as the source, everyone viewed the company as an imagery provider. So all the noise and all the conversations was this company was an imagery provider. But we internally were like, no, we are not an imagery provider. We're an AI company. So that's a really great example where you've got to come up with your narrative to, to, to say that we're using imagery to deliver AI or artificial intelligence analytics. But you got to do that. And so we kept the plates spinning with that business and we, we, we had the things in motion. But at the same time, we were coming up with a new narrative and how we were going to explain ourselves. And that's the nice thing about startups is that you get the opportunity to make change in a very fast pace, unlike a larger company where something, something like this should still happen. But maybe it happens further down the product channels right. versus at, at a big company level. So, yeah, I think it's so critical. And, and even downstream, as you're pouring your money into your events or pouring your money into digital, if you don't have that narrative correct, you're putting money into the machine, into the Google engine, the LinkedIn engine, all of the different engines that are out there that are never going to make it above the cut. So I view marketing even as 
as a leader of providing my own ROI. I, I would like to provide strong deliverables across our salaries of how we are driving incremental revenue or reducing the costs that we're maintaining in the marketing, but in the marketing line item. And, you know, when, when you were telling me the story of that AI uh, company and that everybody internally was like, we're an imagery company, right? Well, what that, did, what that told me is in a functional role, you do your functional role. As a CMO, you're thinking about the narrative that we're talking externally, but you have to think about the internal narrative too, right? If you're doing the LinkedIn ads, you're doing the email newsletters, you're doing your webinars saying one thing, but everybody else is like, yeah, we're this, this imagery company, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot. And all those people, whether they're in customer success or marketing or sales, they have roles that impact the perception of the company. Absolutely. Right? So that was my big takeaway when I was when I was listening to that because this the role of this narrative sets the ship internally and, and sets the rudder. And everybody's going in the right in the same direction. And so many times I as a fractional CMO, I came in too, and the ship was like robos all around going all over the place, right? That is a Immediate recipe for disaster. If things aren't happening internally in the right ways and that there's not the right understanding, then there's no way that externally that that's going to be a message that's consistent in the marketplace either. So it's just on the line of kind of the, you know, live above the functional roles. These are the kind of things now, you know, like I have a client right now, one of our biggest initiatives is a uh, internal education program. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as we write value props and, and we make sure that your unique key features are shining you know, above the crowd, one of the things that we also think about as a strategic marketing um, imperative is, are we translating those documents that we were going to say externally, internally with sales enablement tools? Because if we've done all the work to position the company externally, then we can take it a step further and position the company internally and make sure that everyone has the materials and the battle cards and the slicks that they need to confidently talk about that product, even if you're not in sales and marketing. If you're out there, you should be on the same playing field as a salesperson in how you position your very own company. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's an error that we got into in our, our discussions that led up to this. And, you know, one of those beyond the function roles is how are we as CMOs adding value to the company? How are we, you know, doing things like that we've never had to before in a, in, in a functional role, position the company as an expert, as a, as a trusted advisor, right? In that, that whole kind of thought leadership um, way. How do you think about thought leadership now that you're well beyond, obviously, the, the functional roles there? But how do you think about it? How do you talk about it with the rest of the C-suite? How do you talk about it with your clients? How do you position the role of thought leadership? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you talked about earlier in the, in the buyer's journey, the buyer has started their shopping process well before you've picked up the phone or gotten in front of, in front of the customer. And so I, I think thought leadership is a humongous area that can inform the customer about upcoming trends so that the client or your individual point of contact is keeping up with um, kind of with the pace of change. And so if your thought leadership is signaling, here are some of the shifts in the marketplace or here's what we're seeing in 
you know, whatever the topic might be, you're, you're helping that decision maker become smarter in that, in that area of hopefully interest in your product. Um, I think the other piece is everyone is feeling sold to because we live in a new consumer um, kind of landscape where things are popping up, ads are served everywhere. And so it's nice to take a break and see content that you know ultimately has a sales element in it at the end of the day by providing your email address. But the fact that you can read content is going to be, you know, really great um, for people in their in their jobs and their function. I think the third piece of this is that if you thought leadership is free PR for a company, is they're oh, going to get them out there if, if it gets picked up. And that's the goal is, of course, we want to get our clients to read this thought leadership. But what happens if this thought leadership is so compelling that it gets picked up in other channels on its own in its or- organic form? At, at one of my companies at CoreLogic, we, we drove tremendous thought leadership um, engagement and, you know, of course, the salespeople would be telling us that this is not elite. Okay, and that's fine. But you know what it did do is it brought top line awareness because it was getting picked up in the news cycles. And because it's being picked up in the news cycle, that's where we get that shortening of that sales cycle is we're no longer asking, who is this company? Most startups probably aren't known by many. And so if you get that thought leadership out and people are picking it up, it's really ultimately free advertising for your business. So doing it right, doing it well. And it also helps you understand the business and really what they're, what they're trying to serve. So I love that. I mean, one thing you touched on there is so super important is that it actually takes on a very tactical level, it takes cycles out of the sales process and this ABM sales process. There's not this explanation of the company. There's not the, the need as much to establish the trust and the expertise and everything, right? which would all need to be done as part of the, the sales process. And that would be a burden on the sales team. Thought leadership done well, you already come in as a trusted advisor, right? That's a huge difference in terms of the number of touch points and the things that you're going to have to do to earn that trust and close that sale. Exactly. It also is salespeople in an in a ABM process, they may have 20, 30, 40 touches. And you can't keep selling, selling, selling. Right. So you have to have something that is of added value, something that is interesting enough to be consumed by the the buyers that you're reaching out to. Right. That's not product marketing. Product marketing has a very, very defined role, but that's not leadership. Right. That's what an expert, that's what a leader in the industry would be doing. So there's there's just so much that's very, very tactical. So I think to your point on thought leadership, right, as well as kind of the, the long-term health and, you know, viability of the brand um, and getting picked up. And it's great. I mean, you can do thought leadership that gets picked up in the, you know, in the press or, in, or somebody mentions it on the stage, a study that you did, you know, with the conference or something like that. It's just fantastic. Exactly. And it's one more toolkit in the salesperson's tool bag where quite simply just forwarding that to a client about a great report shows that they're trying hard to be a trusted advisor. So it's a different way of selling, but keeping your business top of mind through additional tactics without selling is is very critical in today's time. Absolutely. So I want to make sure I have the chance to ask this one question. Here it is. We've talked about a lot. (laughs) (laughs) What is it that if there's a takeaway from this, 
right? How do we move beyond our functional selves? What is the takeaway that you would want the CMO community, the executive marketing community that is watching? What do you want them to know? It's a great question. Um, I'd say allow your marketer to truly fall in love with your product. Um, I know for me, I, I don't want to market something that is so foreign to me or that I'm not a personal fan of. And so, you know, this kind of comes down to that product marketing by allowing your marketing leader and team to fall in love with that product. I think that that voice and tone is going to pay in dividends because it's going to shine through by understanding the pain points and the customer journey, um, how you get more people to, to be interested in this product, uh, helping you develop the content, being part of a sales call because you're so passionate about it. And so I've kind of lived my mantra. They may not be the, the most um, sexy consumer brands out there, but all of the B2B brands that I've worked for, I have fallen in love with mm -hmm. and really, you know, pour, pour my heart and soul into that. And so, you know, I, I would say the big takeaway is allow your marketer to you know, fall in love with that product and let them have a voice at the table from a different lens. They may not be the founders, or the co-founders of this business, but you've brought them in. And so they're going to have an opinion and they've done their research coming into the company as as most people do coming into any company. But having that viewpoint in your uh, C-suite table is very critical. Totally unexpected, but I love that answer, right? It's a very B2C thing, right? We've all been in the B2C world too and marketers and, you know, you try the product, you live the product, you do the have the product at home, you buy the car that you're representing, you know, like very, very standard stuff. But living and loving the products that you represent is so important because it's a it, it goes beyond a familiarity, right? Very, very much. Well, Anita, this has been fantastic. If um if people had follow-up questions, would connecting them to you on LinkedIn, would that be a good way to go? Yeah, that would be great. Or they can email me at Anita at sagelyco.com. I'd love to help in any way I can and get to know more people out there. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Steve.